This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Well, first I'll echo what Phil, Brother Phil started out with this morning, how nice it is to be here. Uh, you know, we've all been dealing with sickness and we see it throughout the world. But for most of us, our health, you know, we go through a patch of unhealthiness and sickness and we can return and enjoy the fellowship and this time together. But for others, uh, like Miss Anita, has a broken hip and you know her ability to return and be with us is unknown and so while I pity myself at times in my sickness and unhealth it really makes me thankful that to be here this morning uh, and have minor minor illnesses so yeah, I guess it's kind of like our our right hand you know both of them actually, even though this one's not real coordinated, I'm pretty thankful for it, you know, I'm pretty glad it's there, but if it wasn't tomorrow, I would be a lot more thoughtful of it, wouldn't I? And so, it's the little things, and, and I want to talk about the little things this morning, I, I guess a little thing, but uh, it's quite important and powerful in our lives. So I'm thankful to be up here. Let's, let's before I dig in, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we are thankful that your word is life to us, to our bones, to our minds, to our hearts, and that apart from you and apart from your word, Father, we are nothing. But in your kingdom, we are precious indeed. And this morning, I pray that this living word will come to life in all of our hearts that we'll cherish it and admire it for what it is, and also that uh, this platform that I have up here to be able to speak your word is, is an opportunity to glorify you, that as we dig into your word, it will truly uh, only be your word, and uh, that it will speak to our hearts as it should, that we can take from it and grow uh, beyond our, our mortal selves, and somehow be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you have probably heard the phrase, perception is reality. I want to talk about that briefly this morning. Perception is reality. Let me give you a a brief example. Uh, If I say something and Megan takes offense to it, never happened, but if it did, right? <laughs> if it did, she might take offense to it and say, well, that really hurt my feelings. And I might say, well, honey, I certainly did not intend for that to be how you feel. So this, this phrase is born out of a truth, right? Because her perception is her reality. She perceives that I said something in a disrespectful, unkind, unloving way, and therefore her feelings are hurt. Well, that's reality to her. Her feelings are legitimately hurt. But the reality is that what I said was not intended to cause any pain to her. 
So we see this dichotomy, this challenge of this simple phrase of uh, perception is reality because it can be reality. It can trick us uh, to thinking that it is reality. And that's a small matter. Here's a little bit larger one. I heard of a story about, uh, apparently it was, it was told as if it was true. I uh, wasn't there, but there was a man who was on death row who agreed to go through this experiment. And this experiment was that he was going to be tied to a chair and they, was going to, they were going to cut his wrist and uh, they were going to administer some type of pain that he wouldn't feel any pain, so he agreed to do it as an experiment to better uh, other people's lives, I guess. It was a sacrifice. So the idea was that he was going to bleed out, and they wanted to, to find out how long it took for him to bleed out and do some studies on it. Well, so that's what he was told. So he was strapped down to the chair, and his wrists were put beside him where he couldn't see him, and they cut one of his wrists. But they only cut it skin deep. They didn't cut any veins or arteries. But he didn't know that. All he felt was a cut. So underneath him, they had this little metal drip pan to catch this blood that wasn't blooding, right? It wasn't coming out. It wasn't bleeding. Uh, but they rigged it up to where that it would drop water and make the sound, you know, clink, 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 clink. And then so they had it rigged to where it would slowly start to be less and less, right? Clink, 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 you know, as if he's running out of blood. So he's there and, and he just, he's, he, in his mind, he's dying. He's strapped to this chair, bleeding out. And they were monitoring his heart rate. And as, his, as this blood started to slow down, this trickle of blood started to slow down, his heart rate increased and increased and increased until he died. Perception can be a strong, false reality. Think about it. Just apply that to your own lives. How, how many times do we perceive something and then the next day, or even within the hour, we find that it's not true or that it's all okay, right? I mean, that's the basis of worry. We worry, right? We're not talking about worrying this morning, but our perception of life. Some might call it a worldview. Uh, our worldview is shaped by perceptions. It's shaped by other people's perceptions. It's, it's shaped by other people's ability to communicate something, whether it be true or false, right? Our perception is altered and changed all the time. Now, if, if you were really interested in becoming a millionaire, that was really important to you, would you come to me and say, hey, Dane, I really want to be a millionaire. Can you give me some advice? No, you're not going to. It'd be silly. Who would you want to, whose feet would you want to set at if you were interested in becoming a millionaire? You would seek out and look for somebody who had successful business practices or that was wealthy. Somebody that had grown their bank account or their assets to a million dollars or more, right? You're going to go to somebody who you trust has experience in that field. When I have sickness or I break a bone or I don't go to my neighbor, my friend who cares about me, I don't come to y'all, I go to a doctor. I go to somebody that I trust has experience in that field. Somebody who has a perspective on this certain area that gives us confidence. Well, what I want to do this morning is not talk about finances, not talk about our broken bones and that type of stuff. 
What I want to talk about is, I want us to set at the feet of somebody who I believe has the greatest perspective on life that we can have. So children, uh, kids, young adults, you, your perceptions change. Your perspective changes all the time. Sometimes you think my parents are idiots. Sometimes you think they really don't know what they're talking about. Or sometimes you think, you, you realize, wow, dad really did. Uh, he was spot on. He, he warned me of this. I did it anyways, and this is what I found, right? Your perceptions change based on experience. We're going to sit at the feet this morning of a, of a wise man. You know, just imagine, you know, typically if I want to seek out great wisdom, I don't, although I value y'all's opinion, I don't seek out maybe my peers. I go find an elderly man. I go find somebody that has a lot of experience, somebody that I trust and has faithfulness uh, to God and his family for years, far beyond what I have. I sit at the foot of an older man. So that's what I want to do this morning. Is I want to sit at the foot of the son of David, King Solomon. Because he had a lot of perceptions. He had a lot of experiences that we can learn from. And I want us to learn from them. We're going to go through a lot of Ecclesiastes. And we're, we're not going to read all of it. But we're going to pick and choose. We're going to kind of skip around. But... Uh, Ecclesiastes kind of gets a bad rap, in my opinion. It's kind of a dark theme. Some people think it's a dark-themed book. Uh, it's very somber and uh, heavy-hearted. But to me, honestly, I find few, very few books in God's Word that are more encouraging. I really do. I, it's, Ecclesiastes, to me, is like a, a breath of fresh air. It's like having chains on and then those chains being broken. It's amazing to me. So hopefully we can all feel that way as we come through and talk about Solomon, his experiences, uh, and his perspective on life. We have a lot to learn from him, and I want us to. So to give a little backdrop um, about Solomon, we remember that he was given the gift of wisdom, uh, a wisdom that was far beyond anybody that had gone before him and anybody that would come after him besides Jesus, we could assume, of course. Um, so I say all this to, to because if you were going to go to that financial person, you would want to know, you would want to have proof that they were a millionaire. You would want to have proof that they were good at what they did, that they weren't tricking you. So I want to, I want to build up Solomon so that we can trust as we set at his feet his words to us. I want to build why he has value, why his perception or why his perspective is important or why it's valuable. So we see that in First in Kings, uh, speaking of Solomon, Behold, I have done according to thy words, lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall there be any after. So this is God saying that Solomon was going to have an unprecedented wisdom. So how do we know that we can trust Solomon? Because we see here that God has given him a wisdom far beyond what you and I will ever have. And that's a reality. But because he has such wisdom, we can certainly learn from him. I may be, never be a financial wizard, but I can learn tricks and tips to be better at it. Uh, certainly. Ecclesiastes 1 and 16, it says, I communed in my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to a great estate, and I have gotten more wisdom than any that have uh, been before me in Jerusalem. 
Yea, my heart had exceeding uh, great, uh, had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He was experienced. And Second Chronicles says, And the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon. Kings of the earth came to learn and sat at Solomon's feet. That should say a lot to us. It should mean a lot. To hear his wisdom. Who, who would you travel across the world to sit and listen to? Who do you value that much? Well, the kings of the earth saw that great wisdom in Solomon. That's huge. That God had put in his heart. So this wisdom was from God. And I believe this wisdom was given to Solomon, not just for Solomon's purpose, but for, for our purpose, to teach us a great lesson. So let's talk about some of Solomon's experience. Let's talk about his resume. Solomon lived like a king because he was a king. He had power that was unmatched, just like his wisdom. It's talked about in Ecclesiastes uh, 1.12. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, a mighty, powerful nation. I was the king. And then in Chronicles there, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceeding great. Wealth and possessions. Let's read this. Let's read through this. He said, I made me, this is Solomon speaking, I made me great. Just set at his feet as if he's talking to you and saying, Gavin, this is what I've done. Dalton, this is, this is my experience. This is why you should listen to me. This is why kings all over have come to me for wisdom. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees with all kinds of fruits. I made pools of water to water the wood that bringeth forth these trees. I had servants and maidens and servants born in my home. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men, the delights of the sons of men. I gathered it. It was mine. As musical instruments and that of all sorts, so I was great, and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And also, on top of that, I was the wisest guy ever. You know, as if that wasn't enough. And not only am I the richest dude around, I'm the smartest. Now all this might sound, you know, this isn't the kind of guy I want to follow. He seems pretty high on himself. Well, he is. But this is his perspective or his perception at the time. Okay, so just hang in there with him and don't judge him too harshly yet. But again, as I am trying to build him up, he's trying to build himself up that you might understand his experience. Does that make sense? That, that you might be able to 
in the end, when he gives you this nugget of truth, you might be able to say, wow, I can see how you got to that, that mindset. I can see how you say what you say. And so that's what he's trying to do. So we see that he had wisdom, uh, he had wealth and possessions, uh, un- unmatched to anybody in Jerusalem, certainly, and likely uh, any that had ever gone before after him. And he had wisdom. Living like a king. He had pleasure and joy. So we see in Ecclesiastes 2 and 1, he says, I said in my heart, go to now. So basically he said to myself, here's what I want. I want to go and prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasures. He said, I want to go. And and all of this was an effort on Solomon's attempt to grasp the meaning of life to grasp and lay hold on what brought value to his existence. So in his attempt to find wealth, in his successful attempt to find wealth, to find wisdom, he found much pleasure as well. He said, I set my heart to find it. 1 Kings 11.3 says, And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. I sought, in Ecclesiastes 2.3, said, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Why? Why is he setting his heart on these things? Because he's trying to understand where true joy comes from. He's trying to understand where value, or true value of life comes from. He's trying to understand if his perception is reality. His perception is that if he adds these things these pools of water, these vineyards, these orchards of trees, and these, this massive estate, and all these cattle. He's trying to find out if those things, if, if his perception of owning those things is really true. That's what he's searching out. He's, he's searching. So I sought in my heart to give myself wine, to, to excel, to exceed at drinking, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, so he says, uh, I sought after foolish activity. Do we ever, are we ever fooled in our perception into thinking that the ways of the world are, are nice? Uh, that they may be even preferred? Do we ever see that there's something that we want so bad that it takes a hold of our hearts and our perception is until I get that, I will not be satisfied. Or until my health improves you know, to this standard, I will not be satisfied. So as we sit here and judge Solomon harshly, we ought to look introspectively as well at ourselves and to consider ourselves and our perspective. How we, we too, don't we? We set our hearts on things and uh, make that our goal to find if it brings us happiness. How many times have we failed at that though? We've, we've succeeded in reaching that goal, gaining that thing or this, this, maybe this position and it lets us down, doesn't it? I mean, it does. I think we can all say honestly that we've experienced that in some way or another. He said, and to lay hold on foolishness. He sought after foolish things of the world that they might bring him joy. He said, till I might see 
what was that good for the sons of man. He says, I'm searching to find out how men ought to live. How men, you and I, uh, mankind ought to spend our days. What's a waste of time? What's, what's worth putting forth the effort? Aren't these some of the biggest questions that we ask ourselves? And as you get older, I look at the teens. You know, as I would, I w- I'd go back to 10 to 12 years old in a heartbeat because I didn't have a care in the world. I didn't have a care. I didn't have very little responsibility, but I had enough to where I could do, go ride my bike without supervision, right? That was cat. That was the best, right? But as you start to get older, and uh, I think at Dalton's age, the young adults starting to, you're going you're gonna to start to play some of these mind games. You're going to start to develop these perceptions, and you've got to weigh them against reality. But what reality are you weighing them against? Solomon's in that same boat here. He's trying to figure out what to weigh these perceptions against. I love it. I love it. I love that we have it. I love that God gave us this great, powerful nugget of truth. And we're not even to the best part yet. So we see here that uh, he's living like a king. If I want it, it's mine. It, and I don't know, I can't, uh, we might get to it in a minute, but I'll jump ahead and say that uh, Solomon said that he was so wealthy now imagine this for a second. You were so wealthy that anything your eyes set upon, you could own. So wealthy that if you looked at it, you could own it. I mean, that's a great... It's hard to even imagine to be that wealthy. But what's so powerful about that is that is where Solomon lived. That's who he was. Okay, Imagine that you got to hang out with a guy or a girl that was so wealthy that if they wanted it, they bought it. No matter what it was. No matter what. That was Solomon. So when I say that he brings great perspective, I mean he brings great perspective. No doubt about it. If he wanted it, you know, I look at backpacking stuff for me and the girls, and it's like, I can't really afford that right now. Little things, you know. But imagine if you had the power to possess it. Instantly, because you were so wealthy. Solomon had experiences that you and I will never experience, likely. First of all, we'll never be as wise as he was. And I'm guessing that we'll never be as wealthy, comparatively, to society as he was. I doubt any of us will ever be to the position in, with wealth that we'll be able to own anything we see. And I, I, I'm certain that that's not our goal as well, so it's not a put-down, but I don't believe that's our goal. But because of his ability to see things from this perspective is a great tool for us. Okay, understand that. So all this that Solomon said, all this great experience, what do you think he might say to you? Yeah, you know... The, the wine was good, and the folly was pretty good. Let's see. Uh, but the best was the, all the chariots that I owned. Those were the best. Those were what I appreciated the most. Or, uh, I tell you, the mansion that all my slaves built for me, that was my favorite thing. That was the golden ticket. 
that I found the most found the most joy in. He doesn't say any of that. What he says to me is mind blowing and earth shattering. It should be all of us. <clears throat> Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. Saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. A man that had that kind of wealth and wisdom, that kind of experience of life, says that, you know, I found it all to be pretty pointless. Vain means empty. I found that all those things that I, my heart searched after so diligently actually brought me empty. So I caution you, as our hearts, as our perspectives tell us to search and seek and, and go after these things to find out if they really bring joy, is let's not go down that road. Let's not try that because Solomon did. Solomon was richer than you'll ever be and smarter than you'll ever be. And you know what he says? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So after he experienced uh, treasures untold, you know, you, could you imagine the pride and arrogance that you would think that it would bring you great, you know, some, for some people it's money, for some people it's status, right? They, they, don't, they don't really care. The money is only good because it brings status. Could you imagine being to a point where kings from all over, let's say in today's world, uh, world leaders from all over came and sought after you for advice. came to you and said, what do you think about this, kid? I'm, our, our country's struggling in this area. What do you think about this? Can you imagine the level of pride and, and joy, right, that you might think that that would bring? And Solomon says, no. All that was vanity. All that was empty. So he, let's talk about his attitudes after he experiences these things. This is from his own words. He says, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived, right? Perception is reality. No, it's not. Not always. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. So before he didn't know what it would bring. It was an experiment. He didn't know what folly would bring. He hoped that it might bring meaning to life. But what he found is he, find, he perceived the truth by having gone about it the wrong way. He says, I perceive that this is vexation of spirit. Vexation of spirit, vexation sounds terrible, right? I mean, just the word, we think of like, uh, I think like a voodoo doll or something. I don't, I don't really know how to equate that word, vexation. Do y'all, is there a word, that, a synonym that anybody that comes to mind with vexation that, I don't mean to put you on the spot necessarily, but I had a really hard time like, how do I put vexation into our terminology? Vex ugh, ugh. I don't want none of that, you know, vexation. That sounds terrible. That sounds worse than the COVID. Uh, vexation. That sounds like something you can't wash off. But this is what vexation of spirit means. Or vexation means the state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried. Wow. It is bad. <laughs> it is bad. It sounds a little different than vexation. 
But he said that I found, I perceived that all these things brought me only annoyance, frustration, and worry. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I perceived that these things only made me annoyed and frustrated. He says, uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. And he had done great things. You know, he examined his efforts unsurpassed by anybody. And the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and again, this vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. So this is where a lot of people look at Solomon and Ecclesiastes and think, wow, how dark. <laughs> is life even worth living, Solomon, right? But what he's trying to express to us, and we'll get to it further, is that, yeah, it's not worth living if those are your goals. If those are where you're going to seek fulfillment, joy, and meaningful existence, then yeah, it's pointless. That's what he's saying. All those things only brought me destruction. So yeah, it is dark. If, if our goal is to have power, to have money, if our goal is to be prestigious, uh, or to be uh, great in the eyes of man, or to seek after and, and just lay hold on pleasure, then yeah. It is dark. Our, our, our existence is gloomy. And he knew that. And I think he wants us to know that. I really do. <clears throat> he said, I, I, all the works that my hands have done, I realized that they were pointless. Now, he's not saying that all work that we do is pointless. He's saying all the efforts that I had put forth in trying to find happiness and fulfillment were pointless. All those things, all the, the, that I had laid my hands to at that point in life, I perceive as a vexation. That doesn't mean that all work is. It means that what he had done so far was. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 is a powerful verse. He says that he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Now, why do I trust Solomon? Because he, he, he had the silver. He had the abundance. And he said that you won't be satisfied. But if we're honest, we do look for satisfaction, don't we? In the things of this world. I do. Uh, I'm guilty of it. I base my satisfaction on, on my abundance at times. Uh, whether it's abundance of health, or abundance of money, or possessions, or... I think you get it. We're guilty of it, I think. We fall into that perception. We perceive uh, the world to have more value than it really does. And I think that's the trick. I think that's the trick that Satan wants us to fall for. He goes on, he says, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. He was a deep thinker. And to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. He tried really hard to know and understand life and its value, its purpose. One thing he realized was that all earthly satisfaction, just like this dust, it, it stirred up and it goes back to the ground. 
he says that in Ecclesiastes 5, 15, he says, As he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry with him in his hand. So he said, I, and his perspective is that I worked really hard to get what I had, but then I realized that it didn't matter. None of it mattered. He says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because it was done with an attempt to find joy. It was done with an attempt to replace, essentially, God in his life. He says, Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. He said, I worked so hard to build up this kingdom, and then I die, and guess what? The next guy gets it. And that's it. You know, what am I doing? Why am I, am I beating after the wind? And you could see how he could be frustrated. And this, this uh, vexation of spirit really comes out in the way he talks, in the way he explains the situation. And, it, and he does come across as like a, a warped, old cynic, doesn't he? All go unto one place, all are dust and turn to dust again. Just as the rich man and the poor man he says, I see the poor man, and they die, and they're buried. And I see the rich man, and he dies, and he's buried. <laughs> so what, what have I gained? You know, what, what benefit have I found in living this certain lifestyle? Very sobering. It's sobering to him. It should be sobering to us. He realized his inability to control life. This, I, I believe, is one of Solomon's greatest uh, disappointments when he's seeking after things. I don't think it was the money. I don't think it was the wealth. I think it was he, when he realized his inability to control his own life, our inability to number our days, our inability to guarantee what tomorrow will hold. I think he had the greatest trouble and struggle with that mindset. But we, we do the same thing every day uh, to some degree. We try to control life. He says, uh, For man also knoweth not his time, and that frustrated him. As the fishes that are taken in the evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it faileth suddenly upon them. You know, that's one of the biggest things that we see people in the world try to avoid is this thought of our death. We see that it it's escapes the mind of most people because they're terrified of it. They're terrified to think of death. And Solomon had to come to grips with the fact that, that no matter how wealthy or how wise he became, no matter how much he gathered, no matter how many barns he built, that death would come for him just like it came for the poor neighbor. Or the pot that the, you know, someone with no wisdom. And I think that's a reality that needs to be fresh in our minds daily, is the brevity of life. The fact that we're unable to control what tomorrow holds for us. The fact that just as you know, fish in the sea might be caught up in the net suddenly and consumed, dead and consumed, we too might find ourselves in that same boat. But our, our perspective sometimes wants to make us think that we're never going to die or that nothing bad could ever happen to us. It's this false reality that protects us from dealing with the truth of our lives, the truth of our existence. Uh, is it really deep? Is it too deep? <laughs> is it sad? Or I don't know. I think uh, for us, the thought of death ought to be a celebration. It ought to be a... Uh, and I'm not to be scared. And we, we, when we deal with people out in the world, it's, uh, you can't talk about it. 
can't, definitely can't celebrate it. Solomon brings out my, you know, deepness. Brings out my uh, sober-mindedness, I guess. He says, Then I said in my heart, as it happened to the fool, so it happened even to me. It's no different. And uh, then why am I more wise? Then I said in my heart, so he's basically having this conversation with himself the whole time. This also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool, seeing that that which now in the days to come shall be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life. He hated life because he found no value in what he had sought after. He had spent most of his life, you know, seeking those things. And he hated it. He hated what he had become. He hated what, realizing that all that he had built was emptiness. And that would be sad. And we see, that's why we see uh, very wealthy people in today's society commit suicide or, uh, you know, give up, lose everything because... They, they finally realize, they get maybe wealthy enough to where they realize that truly, outside of God, there is no point to existence. And uh, that's the ultimate uh, perception that Solomon wants us to take. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is, in, that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. All is vanity and brings about that vexation of spirit. He also realized that no real, no real valuable value or profit comes from gaining material wealth. And I know that. Well, he tells us uh, quite frankly. And whatsoever my eyes, here we go, here we go. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. That, to me, is one of the most powerful uh, things in all that he says, because I can't even imagine that. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of my labor. Then, looked, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and I found there to be no profit. So hang with me a little bit here. Hang with Solomon. He's not saying that there's nothing of value in this life. Just give him, give him a minute, and he'll explain it to you. Luke, uh, we see the same perspective uh, here in verse 15 and verse 20. It says, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesseth. <clears throat> for a man's life does not consist out of the abundance of what we can gather. Not from our possessions. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, Solomon was the richest man, but he was not rich towards God. And ultimately, that brought him to the point where he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything apart from God is vanity, it's emptiness, it's chasing after the wind, unattainable. <clears throat> he realized that this abundance does not satisfy. For there is a man whose labor in wisdom, in knowledge, and in equality, 
or equity, yet a man that hath not labored therein, shall he leave for his portion. This also is vanity and great evil. For what hath a man of labor and his vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun, for all his days are sorrows and his travail grief, and his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is vanity and vexation of spirit, essentially. But he says all this because out of, out of experience. He's, he's not saying hypothetically, right? If you do this, then this might happen. He's saying, I did this, and my life was miserable. It lost all value, and I lost all hope. That's why his perspective is so important to us. It should be so valuable. It's not hypothetical. He's saying, I have done this, I have been through this, and here is what it has brought me. Vexation of spirit. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof uh, at that point? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. What is, so what is one thing he found? He said that, you know, labor in and of itself is not bad. He said he actually realized that the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. So he found actual value in labor, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But his point here, I think, to take away from this is whether he eat little or much, right? You don't have to be in, in, increased in abundance and rich to enjoy sleep. Sleep after a hard day's work, he said, is valuable. But it doesn't matter if you go to bed stuffed or dissatisfied. Sleep after a hard day's work, he finds value. Isn't that crazy? The richest man ever. He says, you know what? I really enjoy a good night's sleep after I worked hard. He, that is amazing. That's what he found value in. That's what he tells us is valuable. So when you lay your head down at night, and you wake up in the morning and you had a good night's sleep, thank God for that. Thank God that you had the labor that allowed you to have a good night's sleep. That, there's value in that. That's cool to me. That this rich, the richest man ever says, hey, enjoy a good night's sleep after a hard day's work. That's cool with me. So his conclusion, after all his searching and all his laboring to answer the question of what brings meaning to life, is, he says, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice. Now this is, this is the pinnacle, right? So if you're wondering, well, what perspective do I need to have? What is Solomon ultimately trying to teach me? This is it. Okay? So this is it. After all his searching, all his effort, all his years spent searching, this is the perspective that he now has after all of that. Okay? This is the nugget for us. I know that there is no good in them, in all that that I possessed, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. simple. It's sweet. It's, it's, it's almost so simple. It's like a good night's sleep. It's so simple. It's so simple. The man with the most experience, we sit at his feet and he tells us, look guys, look. Okay? I've been there. I've done that. I've had it. I've experienced it. But what I want you to have, and what I want you to know is that you ought to rejoice and do good in your life. That is what brings meaning to life. He says, and also that every man should eat 
And I find such relief. And so when I say that, when I read Ecclesiastes, it's like freeing to me, not burdensome. This is what I mean. This verse is the ultimate uh, depiction, I guess, of how it makes me feel. And that also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, for it is the gift of God. There is, to me, that is huge. It's almost like, Dane, you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be the most wise man around. You don't have to be this or that. He says to enjoy a good day's work. Enjoy food. The food that you're given. That makes me think of the prayer that Jesus said that all my, this daily bread, right? Thank you for this daily bread. Today's bread. <clears throat> for this is the gift of God that we might enjoy our labor, that we might eat and drink, and that we might do good in our lives. This is the perspective that Solomon wants us to have. And I believe ultimately that God wants us to have. That our lives aren't spent like Solomon's in a vain effort to find joy, in, you know. Ultimately, I don't think his, his goal was to find joy. I think his goal ultimately was to find purpose in life, which is something that we all, I believe, have within us because the Bible tells us that, that we have the ability uh, to look beyond this life, and that's what separates us from the animals, right? We have the ability to think about how numbered our days are. That's a gift. Ecclesiastes 5.18, he says, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, however many that might be. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him to the power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. I think the point here is that Solomon is saying it doesn't matter if you might be rich. He said, but I promise you that your riches is not where you'll find the purpose of life. You may have an abundance, but that's not going to bring you the joy that God wants you to have. It's, it's the simple things like I talked about in my opening. Our right hand, our left hand, our days of good health, food that we get to eat daily. He says, better is... The sight of the eyes, and this is a really neat verse. Uh, better, it's worded kind of strange for us, but better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. Anybody know what that means in today's talk? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. What that means is, what do you have today? That's what it means. What do you have today? What's in front of you right now? What food do you have today to eat? Who do you have to spend your life with today? What portion of health do you enjoy today? He says, that is far better than the wonderings of what might bring us joy that our eyes, that our, our lives don't have. Isn't that a great lesson to learn? Don't you... Some of you that are older, uh, you wish you'd learned that a long time ago. Or that your kids, that's a huge lesson that you want one of your kids, or all of your kids to learn at a young age. I do. I think I want that for my kids, to realize the beauty of life uh, before they spend so many years wasting it like Solomon did on things that are vain and empty.
So Solomon's conclusion. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study, a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Of all that I've told you, this is what you take away, that fear, let us hear the whole conclusion, to fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon opens up in the second verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and he says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And he ends in chapter 12 with the conclusion of all that he had experienced. And he said that the goal of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. If you want value and purpose in your life, this life that is like dust and fleeting and will be gone soon where our days are not numbered, we are like fish that are caught up in a net instantly and we're dead. That you fear God and keep His commandments that you might live with Him forever in eternity. This life isn't always going to be great. It isn't always going to be wonderful. But Solomon said that if you do these things, you give thanks in the labor of your hands, the food that you have before you, the drink that you have, and he says, do good unto men and fear God and keep His commandments, that, we will, that ultimately our life will have value far beyond the flesh and blood that we experience today. Uh, and I, I want to know that. I want you to know that. That is his conclusion. So what should our attitude be after we, after we gleam from Solomon's wisdom as we set at his foot, his feet? What, is he, what should our attitude be? And I'll end with this uh, set of verses here. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. May this be a, uh, a proclamation of all of us today. That's what I hope. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then I spake with my tongue and said, Lord... Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, as a short measurement, and mine age is as nothing before you. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely, every man walketh in a vain show. Surely, they are disquieted in vain. He heaps up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I? As I said in my opening, we will have a lot of people that affect our perception in life, <clears throat> our parents, people that we highly respect. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. I 
believe Solomon's perception. Weigh your perceptions, your thoughts of reality against Solomon's experiences and what he says to us. I challenge you to do that. I beg you to do that. Uh, weigh everything against God's Word. That's what this is. It's God's Word. Weigh everything against God's Word to see if we be in the faith. To see if our life is really valuable, meaningful, purposeful. And if we find ourselves feeling this vain, like, emptiness, then there's something wrong. There's something missing. And I think maybe we're in a boat that Solomon found himself in that we were, he was searching. We, we put our hearts to search after something that only brought us uh, you know, worry, despair, uh, and emptiness. So if, uh, I don't want us to find ourselves that way, but if we do, we can correct it. And Solomon gave us exactly how to do it. Start with the small things. Do good unto all men. Find opportunity to do good. To honor God and keep His commandments. So if you find yourself that way this morning, where it's like there's this emptiness, a hole, uh, a lack of purpose, it's because we fail to seek after what really does have intrinsic value. So we want to pray for you, obviously, as a church. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.